0: Do you need help in your business? Do you need help understanding how to grow and scale and profitably build your company into the business that you want it to be? Well, you're in luck. I have been working for the past three and a half, almost four years now, with some of the most successful real estate investors from around the country, among them Andy McFarlane and Bill Allen. And we've developed a program called Seven Figure Flipping. Seven Figure Flipping is a mastermind, coaching, and mentoring program designed to get you and your business to the next level. If you're interested in finding out more and want to know how you can get involved, shoot me an email at mike at juststartrealestate.com, subject line help, and I will get a hold of you. We'll hop on the phone and we'll talk about it. If it's right for you, I'll let you know. If it's not right for you and your business at this point, I'll let you know that too. But at the very least, you'll find out if it's a good fit. So shoot me an email at mike at juststartrealestate.com and let's talk. All right, on with the show.
1: Yeah, that kind of reminds me of uh, Alice in Wonderland, you know, the Cheshire cat, you know, the Cheshire cat asks Alice, you know, where are you going? And Alice pretty much says, I I don't much care where, and then, you know, the Cheshire cat responds, well, then it doesn't matter which way you go because any road will get you there. Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, guys. Thank you for joining me here on Just Our Real Estate. I I really appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited that you're here with me. I know you have a lot of options in your life, and spending time here with me is what you've chosen to do. And I, I really do appreciate that. I don't take it lightly. Uh, and, and to that end, I try to always provide content that is exciting, actionable, interesting, and at the end of the day, will help you get to where you want to go in life. So uh, I have loaded up a fantastic interview today. Uh, I've got uh, a guest on that I think everyone's going to be very, very excited about. Uh, so super, super knowledgeable guy in the area of turnkey investing and rentals and that passive approach to, to real estate. So I'm excited to introduce him. On the show, I have uh, Marco Santorelli. Uh, Marco is an investor, an author, and the founder of Norada uh, Real Estate Investments, a nation- nationwide provider of turnkey cash flow investment properties. Since 2004, they've helped thousands of real estate investors create wealth and passive income through real estate. He's also the host. Of of the top-rated Passive Real Estate Investing Podcast. Marco, thank you for being on the show. I appreciate you taking the time to be with me and to talk to my audience. I'm, I'm super psyched to have you here.
1: Mike, I'm honored to be on your show. I can't wait to provide great content for your audience, and hopefully we can help them move closer, one step closer to their end goal of financial and time freedom.
0: That's right, man. One step closer. It's all you can do, right? One step at a time. So a lot of people see, like, they hear interviews like this and podcasts. and it's like, oh, that sounds very easy, and it all goes seamless. We had a little bit of struggle getting on this call uh, with the holiday and things. There was some confusion. So again, I want to say publicly, I, I apologize for the confusion, and I, I respect your time. And I'm just, I'm happy to have you, man.
1: No worries. I really appreciate that. It's all good.
0: Awesome, awesome. Well, let's dive into it. Now, we we talked a little bit before the show started, and and I let you know kind of who my listeners are. And there's a lot of wholesalers, and there's a lot of flippers on here. There's definitely landlords and people who are interested in passive investing. But before we get into all of that, let's give let's give the folks some context. Exactly for those of the for those of uh, my listeners who haven't heard your podcast, or haven't read your books, or haven't been on your website, haven't seen all the things you're doing that are fantastic. Give them a little bit of. Background background of of where you came from, how you got to be where you are, so they kind of understand who you are.
1: Yeah, thanks for asking. So long story short, really, I I started investing in real estate when I turned 18 years old. I just knew at an early age around 16 that that's where I needed to be. I didn't, I, I made the decision around 16 after my parents got divorced that I never wanted to work as hard as my mother did, being a single mother with, you know, two boys. And you know, working two jobs and not being able to see her was, was a painful experience. And so looking around, I recognized quickly that real, that entrepreneurship and real estate was really where to create wealth and to store wealth. So I took that path at 18. That's when I could qualify for financing, bought my first rental, fixed it up, managed it, and the writing was on the wall. So fast forward many years, have, having failed at many businesses and succeeded to some degree in many businesses, I made the leap in 2003 two years after the stock market crashed to get back into real estate in a big way and at the time in 2003 2004 in a nine-month period i had accumulated 90 uh, 84 doors so I, I had bought a lot of property from single families to a few small apartments and people were coming to me saying hey marco you know can you help me can you mentor me can you coach me and i didn't want to get in the vol- involved in the business of coaching people but I had no problem helping people and I did it freely, but I just didn't have the time. But I ultimately said, look, I can find you the deals cause I'm going through a lot of deal flow. I'm not buying everything myself. So I might as well just pass that along to you. So that's when the aha moment happened. The light bulb went off and I said, yeah, there's a niche business here where I can provide investment property for investors. That quickly became turnkey rental properties because we wanted to define what, what a minimum standard is. And I'm not saying that to talk about the business so much as just w- what I went through to get to where I am, because I started off as an entrepreneur, became a real estate investor, um, and then just decided that, hey, I can pay this forward and I can help other investors do the same thing and just ride along with me or follow in my coattails. but But long story short, that's you know that's my background. Just I've always wanted to be free and I just wanted to be entrepreneurial, a business owner and a, and an investor.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. You brought up a minimum standard, and I think this is where some people get in a little bit of trouble. I've noticed it at least in my market, and some some folks that I deal with, is they get these these rentals, and maybe they pay a little too much, maybe they don't, but they think they can just sort of like, eh, it's good enough, right? And they just throw people in there, and there's all this deferred maintenance, and then they realize down the road they didn't do the things they needed to do to a get the right rents, probably, and b they they sort of inherited a problem that they sort of. Just punted down the road. They kick the can down the road. And then all of a sudden they're complaining that their 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 rentals are not really producing the cash flow that they they thought it would because there's all this like stuff that keeps coming up because they didn't address it in the beginning. So if you don't mind, maybe for my for my listeners, talk about that minimum standard. What does that mean and why is it important that you establish that minimum standard?
1: Well, when I'm referring to minimum standards, I'm talking about what we look at as a company in terms of how we define a turnkey rental property or a rent ready, just an investment grade property. And it's funny that we're having this conversation, uh, again, now this week after many years of having defined it. So let's step back and define what a turnkey rental is just to put some context here. We're going to put a stake in the ground. Uh, the word unfortunately has been kicked around in the industry a lot. And in fact, I marketed the crap out of that term back in 2004 when I started the business because the term was out there, but it wasn't really used all that much. And I just decided to market the snot out of it because I wanted to be the leading provider, the premier provider of these turnkey rental properties. And I needed to establish that that branding and that messaging. But turnkey really, still to this day doesn't mean much to a lot of people. In fact, a lot of people haven't even heard the phrase they don't even know what a turnkey investment or a turnkey anything is for that matter. yeah so we decided to take the stance at the time of defining it this way. It's a property that is in a in a good uh, stable or growing market in a good neighborhood that is new or or newly renovated. it's uh, tenant occupied, cash flow positive, professionally managed by full service property management. right? That's the whole. Enchilada.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: (laughs) Now differentiate that from what we would call rent ready. Rent ready doesn't necessarily mean it's newly renovated or it's new. It could be in good condition. It's acceptable. Mm -hmm. There may be limited life on the roof or the mechanicals, but it's it's stable, it's stabilized. There's a tenant, they're paying rent, you get cash flow. You can just buy it today and cash flow tomorrow, and you're fine for however long you know you're you're gonna be fine for until you have to do some renovation. That's how we're differentiating right now, rent ready versus turnkey. Okay. And we're gonna actually note that on our new website, which is under construction right now and will be launched in two months. We're we're literally gonna differentiate between, you know, the two types because we do actually carry both. But um, Back to kind of what you were talking about in terms of a minimum standard, I think it's important that you listening to this as an individual investor, have a criteria of what you want to invest in. Now, I I understand that your audience are predominantly people who are wholesaling and rehabbing and flipping and creating like these chunks of cash from their activities. They're essentially running a business. They have their own business, they're self-employed and they're, they're making probably good money flipping and wholesaling and doing whatever. But at some point in time, you got to take those chunks of cash, in my opinion, and convert them into streams of cash and create yourself a passive stream of income, you know, cash flow. Yeah, that's that's really the, the pathway to financial freedom, the financial independence. But in doing so, you need to have that minimum standard for yourself. What is your criteria? Because when you're out looking for your um, for your properties, for your investment portfolio, you need to know what it is that you want. And when you see it, you can identify it and everything else is automatically filtered out by your mind is, in saying that, okay, that doesn't meet my my criteria or my minimum requirement. I'm not going to even bother looking at it. Yeah. So So those are those standards that you need to set, not just personally, but you should as a company anyway. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's really good advice. And I I think you're right. I I was going down a different path with that whole thing um, because I've just seen some of the things that people do locally here that have got them in trouble. Now, I know you have something called the 10 rules of successful real estate investing. Would you mind breaking that down for us? I think those are important. I've heard them. I've heard you talk about them, but I'd like my audience to get exposed to that as well.
1: (laughs) Sure. Um, Yeah. So this this was kind of a a compilation of things that uh, uh, came about over years. Um, I, am a firm believer that you should invest in yourself first. You know, th- that is my first rules, educate yourself. You need to place that investment in yourself and, and build your knowledge base. And I like to refer to knowledge as a new, as, as the new currency. It is, yeah. it is something that is investable and spendable. Um, but if you don't build your knowledge, you really doomed to follow other people's advice. So do you want to be a sheep or a goat? Right? I am a goat. I want to be a goat. I want to, you know, pay, yeah. pay my own path and create my own success. But when you build that knowledge, it helps you become a great investor, not just an average or good investor. And it helps you differentiate between uh, bad advice that people are possibly giving you and good advice. You know, it it allows you to ask intelligent questions, especially if you're talking to an attorney or CPA or another real estate investor, your BS meter is is sharply tuned. You know how to sniff out, you know, when you're being given BS. So that's my first rule is just educate yourself. Okay. Do you want me to flow through these mic? Yeah, I, I
0: would. I would like, to, yeah, let, let's hear them all. I, I think that it's important that we do this.
1: Okay. So just cut me off anytime. <laughs> you have a comment
0: or a question. All right. I will for sure. All
1: right. So the next thing is something that, you know, we as entrepreneurs and investors hear all the time is to set your investment goals. The problem is, is most people wish a lot of things for themselves. They want to be rich, you know, this and that. But the, uh, at the end of the day, having a wish is not the same thing as a goal, you need to set very clear, specific, measurable goals. You know, they call them smart goals, specific, measurable, uh, attainable, realistic, and, and time, you know, time stamped. Yeah. If you do that, then you can create yourself a roadmap and an action plan to become financially independent or fi- financially free. And they've done study after study and they know statistically that people who actually write down goals, even if it's just one goal, and, and actually read it on a regular basis, or even rewrite it, they are far more likely to be, to become financially independent. That that's just a proven fact. And so you need to just do it. Just grab yourself a journal, write, start writing down what you want to achieve, and put it in the present tense. Yep. Um, yeah. I wanna, to, if I can
0: jump in there real quick, I do want to cut you off because I think that's a huge one, and it's something that I'm I'm uh, I I talk about all the time. If you don't know where you're going, you're never going to get there, right? So I have people ask me, and I know you get this. I've heard you talk about it, and if you've been in this long enough, had any level of success, people come to you and say, "What do I do? How do I do it? Like, give me some advice, right?" And and the first thing I ask them is, "What are your goals? What do you want to do? Where where do you want to be? Like, what is the end goal here?" And a lot of times it's, "I don't know. I I don't know. I just, you know, I want to be a real estate investor." I think you don't know what your goals are. You know, if you want to have a hundred million dollar company, that's a different path than having a A million dollar company, right? I mean, there's just different different things you have to do to to achieve different goals. So, I think having those those goals, uh, smart goals, like you said, it's huge. And I I think people don't start enough with the end in mind. They just they get out there and just start doing stuff, and and they're not getting what they were hoping for. But they don't have a clear path, or at least a clear vision of what success means to them. Cause it's different. My, my interpretation of success or my vision of success for me is probably different than you different than everybody who's listening. So I love that one. Actually it's, it's, that's, that's huge. And I think not enough people pay enough attention to that.
1: Yeah. It, 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 that kind of reminds me of uh, Alice in Wonderland, you know, the Cheshire cat you know, Cheshire cat asks Alice, you know, where are you going? And Alice pretty much says, I, I don't much care where, and then you know, the Cheshire Cat responds, well, then it doesn't matter which way you go because any road will get you there.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you exactly. Know? Exactly.
1: Yeah, you're exactly so right. With no, with no clarity, <laughs> you, you know, you're, you're just you're just drifting. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so so my third rule is 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 to never speculate. And this is something that people to the tune of millions of people actually made into a problem, a big problem back in 2003 through 2006 when they thought they were investing and they thought they were investors. And I say all that in quotes, air quotes, but the reality is is they were speculators. They were gambling. They were, were, yes, they were buying property and sometimes they were buying multiple properties and a lot of that being new construction and they saw property values go up, but it was false demand. It was pseudo demand. The demand was being pushed primarily because of speculators and investors and they were rich on paper. They had all this... This paper equity, uh, but a lot of them got caught with their sh- their shorts down when you know the market dried up and there was no end buyer. They were the last person in line holding that bag. Yeah, it's like a game of musical chairs. You know, when there's no chair left for you to sit on, you're the last one standing. Guess what? You're the one in trouble. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and I know people who made millions of dollars and lost millions of dollars playing that game.
0: Yeah, I know but people the- who actually bought property at. Full retail, full ARV. They they bought it at the top of the market, and their whole plan was to just sit on it, not not do a darn thing, just sit. Because in a few years, it'll be worth another 15, 20 grand, and we'll sell it. And that that's the whole plan, right? That that blew up in a big way in two thousand seven, two thousand eight. That was yeah. I, I know people who are doing exactly that, speculating.
1: Yeah, and, and yeah, it was just it was just a crazy time. And the, those are those are speculators. You know, they're chasing appreciation. And look, I, I I played into that game too. In, in in 2005 I bought five properties down in Southwest Florida and I remember one year we saw a 32% appreciation rate in one year. Wow. That's not only insane but that's completely unsustainable. <laughs> yeah. And so I flipped four of those properties and made, you know, a nice double digit gain on on four but the fifth one was this uh, large house on on a canal and uh it at the time it I bought it for 540 it appraised for 720 uh at, at some point in time during construction, which I ended up taking almost two years, definitely longer than a year. Yeah. Um, but then I had to end up short selling it. I ended up losing on it. So um, you know, this is the problem: is is if there's no market, retail market, you're gonna you're gonna get caught at some point in time. Yeah. So it's more important to invest in prudent value plays where the numbers make sense right from the beginning, and that segues into my fourth rule, and that's invest for cash flow because. You know, you've heard the phrase cash flow is king, and I firmly believe that cash flow is king. Uh, to me, cash flow is that glue that he keeps your deal together. It holds your deal together because it covers all your expenses and your debt service. Whatever's left over is your spendable cash flow. And that's what we want. Now, you multiply that cash flow per property times 5, 10, 20 properties. Guess what? You're probably financially independent at that point. Mm-hmm. And as you grow and leverage and scale what you're doing, you become financially free in a big way. And you create generational wealth, but you can't do that unless you have positive cash flow. So with cash flow, you have this cash on cash return that's the immediate, it's directly related to the to the purchase on day one. But as time goes on, not only does your cash flow grow, but your equity grows too. So those things work hand in hand and it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. So if you begin your investments with cash flow in mind, then everything else takes care of itself as the, the years go by. And that's so important. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I love it.
1: So the fifth one is kind of more um, uh, macro in scope, and that's really just to be mar- market agnostic. Now, you know, I've been market agnostic because I've been investing from Southern California in, in three different markets right from the get-go in 2004. Yeah. But th- that's that's really what, you know, we wanted our company here to adopt is to, to be completely market agnostic. because At the end of the day, we live in a very large country. We have over 400 metropolitan statistical areas each one of these markets are doing different things. Like you up in Michigan, you know, we were talking about Detroit before we started recording here. What's happening in Detroit today is different than what's happening in San Diego, California today, which is certainly different than what's happening in like Tampa or Jacksonville, Florida today. Mm -hmm. Every market has its own drivers and local factors that affect supply, demand, pricing, um, uh, you know, it's business climate, et cetera, et cetera. So when you understand that, you realize that one market may be great to invest in at this point in time and other markets may not be so good to invest in right now because they're overpriced or there's a lack of inventory or the price to the rent ratio is, is either good, they're close, they're like close to 1% or they're really skewed and they're, they're out of whack like in here in Southern California where we are renting properties for about 0.4% of the purchase price, which means a million dollar property, which I know sounds insane, is going to rent for about thirty five hundred to four thousand dollars a month. That's not enough to cover all your expenses, property taxes, and debt no, service. No,
0: no, it's not. And right. I and I actually the, I want to keep going through the rules, but that market uh, market agnostic uh, philosophy. I want to dive into that a little bit more because I think that's a key that to me that's a keystone for some people. They live in Southern California. They live in other places where <clears throat> the market is so hot. That they feel like, well, I I can't invest in real estate. Like I just can't. My my market's too hard, or the the buy in is just too high for me. I don't have that kind of capital. I don't want to take on that kind of debt. Whatever it is, they just don't. There's a there's a mental block of getting them outside of their market because, well, if I'm not there, I'll get screwed, right? Things will happen. I won't know what's happened. Like I just want to discuss that with you once we finish going through the list because I want to get through the list, but I definitely want to hit that topic. I think it's huge.
1: Sure. So yeah, let's come back to that one. Okay. So r- related to that, um, again, kind of a macro perspective is is to take a top down approach. Now, here's what I mean by that. If you imagine a funnel, when you invest, a lot of investors knowingly or unknowingly make the mistake of looking at a property. You know, they they pick the market because they live there, or their friends are suggesting it, or they have friends or other investors that are investing in a particular market, and they start looking at properties. They they just focus right down to the bottom of that funnel. The reality is you should start at the top of the funnel and start considering metropolitan areas and markets because of unemployment, job growth, population growth, the, the local economy, the health of that housing market, is there inventory, you know, a balance between supply and demand. You got to look at all those factors that are driving the market. So you start with the market, then you start looking at the submarkets and the neighborhoods and you determine going back to your goals and your criteria do I want to be in a B or a B plus neighborhood, maybe an A minus, maybe I'm comfortable with C class neighborhoods and that's where I want, you know, the, the higher yields up front. And I trade that off for, you know, appreciation potential and growth down the road. You know, you got to determine that, but you, you start with the market and work your way down to the neighborhood. Then you start looking at specific properties in conjunction with the team, the trustworthy vetted team that you're working with, that you surround yourself with. And that's the whole thing about taking a top down, top down approach. And the reason this is important is because a lot of investors make the mistake of looking at the property and they get, they fall in love with it. You know, it's newly renovated. The pictures look great. The numbers are attractive on paper, um, but it happens to be on a bad street or in a bad neighborhood. And it's a sketchy area, or you've got a lot of transient tenants in this particular area. And and now you're just going to be running into problems down the road because you can't pick that property up and unroot it and move it to another better neighborhood later. You're married to that neighborhood. So you've got to, you've got to buy in and decide on the neighborhood first and then look at properties that you're going to invest in, in that neighborhood. And so that's the whole thing about taking a top down approach and that's where you're going to find the best deals and and have the greatest success. And I think this is where a lot of investors make the biggest mistake is, is because a lot of the problems and headaches and hassles that they come across later on are rooted in improperly choosing the markets and neighborhoods.
0: Yeah. Yep. That's smart. That, That makes a lot of sense actually.
1: So once you start going, uh, you wanna start to diversify across markets. This is the whole concept of diversification, but within this asset class of real estate. And so what that means is um, invest in one market that you've vetted and you, you come to know, it could be your local market, but often it's another market outside of your local area. And you wanna accumulate ideally three to five properties in that local market. And once you've done that, then you want to look at another market that's geographically different. Often that's in another state, but it, it has its own uh, factors and drivers in terms of economics and employment and fundamentals. And if you do that three to five times, I call it three to five in three to five. So three to five properties in three to five markets, you're going to be well diversified. You're going to have a good size portfolio. You're going to have stability and strength within that portfolio. It's not a house of cards. And, um, and that's really just providing you diversification yeah. and minimizing the so-called risk within this uh, this asset class of real estate. So it's really a simple principle, but a lot of people, you know, put all their eggs in one basket, as they say, and they just focus on one market. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. It's just good to be diversified in different markets because sure. at the end of the day, look, you may want, you may say, look, I'm going to focus on a cash flow market in the beginning. And then you might want decide, okay, I want to have more growth or equity, uh, more growth or appreciation potential. So now you might pick a market that is experiencing strong population growth. It's got a lot of drivers pushing in jobs and businesses. They're moving into the, that market. Like Dallas is a good example of that. Jacksonville, Florida is another example of that type of market where you're seeing a lot of drivers pushing that market to grow. And then of course that increases housing demand. And now there's more need for rentals and you have a larger rental pool and it's pushing property values up. It's pushing rents up. So that's where you have that equity growth. So if you balance those things and you diversify your portfolio, now you're gonna have the best of all worlds. But that may not be your strategy. That's a strategy. My strategy might be all cash flow. Another person's strategy might be all appreciation potential. But diversification allows you to do that.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So the eighth thing is uh, something that most people will agree with and do, and that is use professional property management. So look, at the end of the day, property management is a thankless job. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> likes to do it. Yeah. But property management, you know, requires a good solid understanding of the tenant landlord laws. It requires good marketing skills, people skills, negotiation skills, the ability to deal with tenants and, and their complaints and excuses the way I look at my time is it's very valuable and I should spend my time with my family, my career, building my business and looking for more property, like just doing, looking at deals. Yeah. And if I'm managing my own properties, even if it doesn't take a lot of time, like maybe five to 10 hours a month, look, it's five to 10 hours that I could have spent with my kid. Yeah. So I don't want to be doing my own property management. It's a service. I outsource it. I, I, I give it to someone who's more competent at it than me. Yeah. And, um, and I factor that into the cost of, of acquiring my rentals anyway. It's, it's a cost of doing business. It's a line item and an expense.
0: Yep. So it's a- Absolutely. I, I hear that a lot too. Like I, I, I would not pay somebody just to collect a check every month for me. Right. And then take a fee for that. But the reality is you said five to 10 hours a month and that could very well be, but you know how it goes. Sometimes when it rains, it pours, so to speak. And, and you end up having a month where it's way more than five or 10, because you have, if you have a large portfolio, 20, 30, 40 properties, and you know, Two, you know, a third of them start having issues. Or there's tenant or turnover. I mean, turnover itself can take some time, right? Just getting the place rent ready, uh, finding a new tenant, vetting them out, uh, interviewing, looking at at credit scores, and, and all these things, looking at their their um, references. It, it can be a very time consuming thing, and like you said. You're better off going with a company that's set up and optimized and very efficient at that work than you doing it sort of like as needed, ad hoc, kind of just doing it in your spare time. You're never going to do a great job at it. And it's not the best use of your time because if you're not finding more deals and building your business, then then maybe spending time with your family is a much better option than, than trying to find new tenants. So. I like that. It's a, it's a good one. It's something that I have, I, I'm, I'm in, I know it's a thankless job and I'm inherently lazy about things that I don't enjoy and I don't enjoy property management. So I've always, I've always outsourced that and I'm, I'm glad to do It's a, some of the best money I've ever spent. So.
1: <laughs> well said, Mike, I think we can end <laughs> it right there. There you go. <laughs> so, um, so moving on, you know, number nine is, is to maintain control. The nice thing about real estate is you're a direct investor. You, you own and control your own real estate portfolio. Um, now, generally speaking, I, I like to say that you should never own real estate through funds and partnerships and, and paper-based investments where you're really just a shareholder or you own securities and an entity. A REIT is a good example of that. The exception to this rule, if you will, is if you are part of a group investment, a syndication, where you know the principles and you 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 trust them, you have some sort of relationship. So they're they're kind of like your business partners in a sense. You, you're, you're not feeling like you're so far on the outside that you have uh, no say. Now, usually you don't because you don't have voting rights or control uh, because if you're a limited partner, you're typically a silent partner and you're just an investor. Right. But with, with few exceptions, I like to say, be a direct investor own and control your own portfolio, control it and and call the shots and determine manage your managers. That's your property managers. Don't leave it up to corporations and fund managers. Often these, these funds, uh, not the good syndications, but a lot of these paper-based assets and, and REITs and whatnot have a lot of fees. And so your, your real returns are, less than what they would have been if you were a direct investor. And I just find that time and time and time again. So,
0: yep. Yep. so
1: I, I, I like just, what's that?
0: No, I said I, said I like that. You're right. I, I, I absolutely agree with you
1: 100%. So last but not least is uh, the beautiful thing about real estate is it gives you the ability to take your investment capital and leverage it, put it to work as hard as it possibly can. And real estate is pretty much the only investment where you can borrow other people's money, what we call OPM, and purchase and control income-producing property. It's an amazing thing when you can buy and invest in income property, put as little as 20% down, borrow the other 80% from a lender, and control and own and benefit from 100% of everything coming from that property. So you borrowed 80% of it, but you're getting hundred percent of all the benefits and not sharing that or splitting that with your lender or anybody else for that matter. That's a powerful thing. And when you can take your hard earned capital and leverage that five to one, that magnifies your overall rate of return. And it accelerates the the wealth creation that you have in your portfolio. So So if you have hundred thousand dollars to invest, you could buy one, $100,000 one hundred thousand dollar property, three bedroom in the Midwest or in the Southeast. And you know, you probably, you know, make seven hundred dollars a month in passive income after expenses. But you could also turn that into five one hundred thousand dollar properties and and not quite triple I, you're going to, you're going to come close to tripling your income on five versus one property. It just depends on the location. But the point is, is that you're magnifying your cash flow, you're magnifying your returns, you're accelerating your wealth creation because now you have equity growth and amortization across five properties, not just the one. Um, And, you know, as you grow that portfolio, you start to diversify. So um, leverage is a beautiful thing. And, and, and the ability to do that with real estate is, is huge. It's better than any other asset class. The only thing that comes close is is stocks. You know, if you margin your stocks at, at you know, two to one, a 50% margin, yeah. um, it, that has its drawbacks too. But anyway, you get the point.
0: <laughs> I get the point. And that's that's very well put. And and I get this question too. Why not just, if I have the money, why not just spend all my money? Why borrow any of it, right? Because it's leverage. It's like you're you're amplifying your money's ability to make you money. And I you, you said it much better than I could. So thank you for that. So those are the 10, and, and those are... I, 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 I've heard you talk about them before, and I definitely wanted to get them out on uh, my airwaves because I think all of them are very, very important for people to understand. But let's swing back to the market, uh, market agnostic because... <clears throat> I talk to folks from around the country and some of them live in Southern California and they they want to get involved in passive real estate and they just don't think they can. They don't think it's an option for them, right? So I, I think everyone, based on what you've already said, understands the benefits of it, right? But how do they get over the hurdles, the mental blocks that keep them from thinking that they can invest in, in other markets? Like, wh- What exactly can they do if they want to invest in other markets? I know you offer a service and that's something that they can definitely tap into, but just more from a philosophical standpoint. How do they get past those barriers?
1: So one of the first things we need to do uh, is forget what the so-called gurus talk about. And a lot of the gurus, maybe they have good intentions, but they mistakenly give out bad advice to a lot of people, or that advice is 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 taken in the wrong context. And that is this: that you should be investing one to two hours within, you know, where you live, a two-hour radius. that's good advice for someone who is a hands-on flipper or wholesaler because they need to drive and comb and farm neighborhoods and that's often much easier to do in your local market than it is remotely from from afar and so if you're doing that then yeah you want to be within a one or two hour radius because you're gonna manage your contractors you're gonna be swinging a hammer yourself you're gonna be doing a lot of that work that's great but if you want to ha- build a portfolio on autopilot you have to realize that the best deals are not necessarily in your backyard and even if they even if you are in one of those great markets there's still a lot of great opportunities all around the country where it's been done for you it's a it's a completely turnkey investing experience in a in a in a turnkey package where it's cash deposit positive from day one all you have to all you have to do is do some vetting and due diligence on the front end get, qualify for your financing, close escrow 45 days later, add that property to your portfolio and your cash flow positive. I like to use Coca-Cola as an example. If I do my research and I figure out that Coca-Cola is by far the best stock investment that you can get today and I want to invest in Coke and I don't live in Atlanta, Georgia where their corporate headquarters is located. I'm here in Southern California. Do I not invest in Coca-Cola because I live in California, not in Atlanta? That would be stupid. But thinking about that objectively, not emotionally, I realized that, yeah, I would would be making a mistake. So I should invest in Coca-Cola, regardless of where I am in the world. The same thing is true for investment real estate. If my returns and the opportunities across the board, about everything we just talked about today, are better for me to invest in a market like Atlanta, and I live in Southern California, why wouldn't I invest in Atlanta if I have the right opportunity, the right team, and the properties available for me to do so? So investors need to take their emotional hat off and remove the filters and lenses in front of their eyes and look at real estate as being something that's available to them on a nationwide basis. And when you realize that I don't need to be the one managing it, that I have professionals doing that for me and professionals to help me with everything from uh, finding and acquiring that property to asset management or asset protection to uh, my bookkeeping, my accounting, my property management, when all that's done for me, then it really doesn't matter where i'm located i i could be a laptop investor and i could travel the world yeah which is kind of what i do anyway yeah so
0: um so let me ask you uh, this okay okay I, I hear that and i i agree with you i buy into that as a as a as a listener right now but yeah. how do i you talk you keep talking about a team how, how do i i don't have a team and i'm in california and i want to invest in atlanta how, how do I, what's the, what, what are the steps to build a team like that? How do I, how do I get this team that's looking out for me? And then by the way, how do I, how do I vet out, not Atlanta, but when you go down that funnel to the actual neighborhood, I don't live there. Is this a neighborhood that's kind of bad, dangerous, and I don't know it. And the person selling me the house is telling me, oh, it's a great neighborhood. Like these are the fears that I I know I can hear this in my, in my audience. I know this, what they're thinking. How do you, how do you take those steps, right? How do you get past those fears?
1: Yeah, it's funny you asked me that question because I literally did um, an, an Ask Marco episode of my podcast just two weeks ago with the exact same question as you know, how who who do I need on my team? Yeah, um, there's there's about eight or ten people that you want on your team, but there's there's a, a handful that are the core group of people. The first person that you want to find is or or set of people are are who the people who are going to give you your deal flow. They could be real estate agents, real estate brokers. They could be uh, local turnkey providers. They could be a company like, like my company, Norada Real Estate, where we're a nationwide provider of those turnkey rental properties. But your source, where's your source of deal flow coming from? The the, the the deals that you can look at, vet, analyze, underwrite, and then ultimately decide where you want to invest. So that's person number one. Okay. Number two is. Now, assuming that you've identified the market you want to invest in, you want a full service property management company or two in that market that you're going to rely on because they're, they're, they're the most important person on your team. You live and die by your property manager. So those are two key people on your team. Yeah. In addition to that, and I'll get to the whole thing about finding and vetting them in a sec because it's really just a simple answer. Uh, thirdly, you want an asset protection attorney. You know, we have a list of about five or six that we just, you know, freely give to our clients and say, here, you know, here's a list from low cost, high cost, you know, premium service to, you know, uh, average service type of thing, uh, services and, you know, pick and choose whoever you want to work with. Same thing with your CPA. You know, we've got a list of CPAs that specialize with doing investment real estate for real estate investors and that's all they do. So, so that your CPA and your attorney, right. Uh, and then, you know, there's kind of the nominal type of services that are transactional. They come and go like your title company, your escrow services, uh, usually one in the same, uh, you've got your property inspector, you know, which you just use one at a time or, you know, on a one-off basis, every time you do an inspection on a new property or just randomly as time goes on. Yep. Um, who am I missing? Uh, maybe a general contractor or a handyman, but usually that's handled by your property management company. So there's a core group of people and then you've got your ancillary people. Yeah. But vetting them is often when you start off with one or two of these people, the others feel fall into place because they will know the people who do a good job and they'll be able to refer and recommend people for you. But in the beginning, when you start to do that, you're doing your own research and vetting. You're finding them usually online or contacts that you know, or other real estate investors that are investing in a particular market. You're going to ask them, Hey, who do you use or who do you recommend or who do you know that's good? You contact them, interview them, do some reputation, um, uh, research online on them. You're always going to find some negative reviews no matter who or what you're looking up. <laughs> yeah. But the, the idea is you want to have 80% of those reviews or more be positive and good. You, you, you c- you'll never be able to make everybody happy. You're always going to have somebody who's going to be unhappy or disgruntled with you. But the reality is you want the majority of people to have, you know, positive things to say about you. Sure. So I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. You did.
0: And and actually, I think you inadvertently answered the second question with your first answer in that it was, how do I know that the neighborhood I'm being told is good is actually, you know, a B neighborhood if they're telling me it's a B neighborhood. And I think if the if the realtors bring you this and and you're not really sure I'm going to go out on a limb, maybe I'm wrong, but the the the. the property management company is not going to want to get into a property management situation in a city that or in a town that they know is bad or a neighborhood they know is bad. So I would think between those two services, uh, you're going to get a good sense, right? The realtor brings you something. This is a great neighborhood. You should do it. You bring it to the property manager. And they go, "Oh my gosh, that's a war zone. I would I wouldn't manage a property in that if I had to." It, it kind of you have checks and balances. I guess it sounds like.
1: Yeah, I have three answers to your question.
0: Okay, good. <laughs>
1: So, so the first one is to ask the people you're talking to what they think of this particular neighborhood and this particular street or area and you'll get you'll get feedback from your real estate agents and brokers your turnkey uh, providers people like ourselves secondly you want to ask two or three property management companies <clears throat> and the way to do that is if you're working with a management company call them first and ask them hey I'm, I'm thinking about investing in a property on this street or in this neighborhood. What can you tell me about it? Or what do you know about it? Or what, what do you think? Yeah. Then call up two more property management companies and say, Hey, I'm a real estate investor. I'm out of state. I'm thinking about investing in this area. Do you, first of all, you ask them, do you manage property in that area? If they say no, then, you know, and end the call. Yeah. If they say, yeah, we do. Uh, then ask them, what do you think of that area? Um, what are the pros and cons? And how would you grade that on a scale of a through D? All right. And and so that's that's the first thing you do. The second thing you do is you go online and you start to look up information. Most of it being freely available. You can go to Zillow, Trulia, um, City Data. Uh, there are many websites that provide a lot of free information. You can get information about uh, crime statistics, schools, walkability, um, uh, the percent of owner-occupied homes versus you know rent o- rental-occupied homes, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, then there are paid services like neighborhood scout and uh, I can't remember the other one, but those, those are paid services where you get some very, very detailed, uh, plethora of information, um, about a particular street or neighborhood. So you can look up almost more than you'll ever want to know about a particular area. So a small investment will give you a ton of information. A lot of it's free. That's how you, that's how you determine and you do your due diligence on a particular area or even a market for that matter.
0: Yeah. I like that. Um, so I know that you offer a service. You do uh, turnkey rentals around the country. What are some of the markets? You mentioned Dallas and, and Jacksonville. What are some of the markets that you would consider to be desirable or, or becoming more desirable for people to, to have rentals or turnkey opportunities?
1: Right. So... Uh, you know, we, we classify markets in two categories, cash flow and then growth markets. And really, the growth markets are more like hybrid markets where they are positive cash flow, not as sexy looking on paper as the cash flow markets, but they have greater growth potential. And so this is the conversation we have when we have that initial that initial free consultation, what we call a strategy session with investors. Cause we're going to find out, well, Hey, where are you? Where are your goals? Where do you want to go? Yeah. Let's define a criteria. Let's start talking about markets. What do you know about markets? If you picked some, if not, let's, let's talk about what's available out there. And then we start going through that whole funnel approach, you know, from the, the big picture on down to the mi- minutia. And we do this with everybody, <clears throat> but you know, the markets vary and we're in 22 and they, and we're, we're in 22, we're wide because we don't always have the inventory that we need in each of these markets. So inventory could be low and thin. And so we have to go into other markets to be able to provide our clients with that inventory. Um, but, you know, we like Atlanta for many reasons. It's, it's a strong growth market and it has been growing considerably for the last probably four or five years. Uh, Alabama, we're in three markets there: Birmingham, Huntsville, Montgomery. A lot of cash flow related investments there, but but we're starting to see stronger growth potential. Idaho uh, is definitely a growth market. We've seen crazy amounts of growth there, and uh, we're building new construction fourplexes there right now. So that's that's a market to look at. Idaho has been like a lot of people don't even recognize that Idaho has been like a, a like a rocket ship lately. But yeah, a lot of growth going on. Why
0: is that? Do you know why that is by chance?
1: Uh, low cost of living, low uh, unemployment, strong job growth, strong population growth. Yeah. People are moving there from more expensive states like the, the West Coast, all, sure. all over the West Coast. So uh, hmm. just a lot of drivers, you okay. know, four, four ranked it at one time, number six for the strongest job growth in the country. Wow. Yeah. So there's a lot going on there. Yeah. Um, Florida, we're in three markets in Florida. You know, the uh, Cape Coral, Fort Myers area. We're in Jacksonville, and we're in Tampa. We are we are looking at two other markets in Florida right now. Uh, those are typically hybrid markets. They're kind of a balance between cash flow and and growth potential. So, you get you get kind of the best of both worlds. Yeah, uh, we still love the Chicago market, even though I don't like Illinois as a as a very left wing, you know, very political, um, <clears throat> highly taxed state. Yeah. Um, landlord laws are not overly friendly there for us, Yeah, but there are great deals and we have a lot of great deals in the Chicago land area. Um, Cincinnati, Ohio, Cleveland, Ohio are two of the markets, Dallas, Houston, and San Antonio have been markets. We're in and out of those markets because we don't always have inventory, but they've been hyper growth. Um, A few more I'll throw out there. We talked about Alabama, Indianapolis, Indiana, Northwest Indiana, or a couple other markets.
0: Hmm. Okay. no, that's great. Really? You you gave me way more than I thought you were going to give me. That's good. <laughs> no, that no, that's perfect. I, I actually I was hoping you would give me a lot and not just the the couple that maybe people already know. And I think there's some in there that people would not have guessed, just not intuitively guessed it. Right. Um. <clears throat> one one last thing I want to talk to you about. I, I know it's something that you you do talk about and you believe in. Uh. And that's the mindset and personal development side of financial success. How does How does mindset and personal personal development um, contribute to financial success in, in your opinion. How, what part does that play?
1: That question is a one hour podcast in itself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. G- Distill it down to the highlights for the next 10 minutes. Like I, I know you you have obligations today, but I-, I definitely want to hit on this because I'm I'm passionate and I'm on a crusade that Real estate isn't just about the numbers and ARV and renovations. A lot of what keeps people from being successful is they 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 have limiting beliefs. They have a, a mindset that was developed as a child by their parents, and it's not productive to financial success. And just talk a little bit about how your philosophy on that and how does it it affect it. And, and I know I'm I'm taking a large subject, and we're not going to be able to do it total justice. But let's see what we can do in the next few minutes.
1: Yeah, it's really hard to answer that in a short question. Maybe maybe I'll kind of throw a, a minute or two out there okay. of, of you know kind of plant the seed for maybe a follow-up conversation or okay. something. But okay. you know, I, I I jokingly say this with my 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 wife and my daughter, and I and I, I also kind of say this from time to time publicly. I like to think that there's three kinds of people out there. There are those people who make things happen. There are people who watch things happen. And then there's those people who wonder what happened.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Unfortunately <laughs> most people fall into that third category. Yeah. So, you know, I like to think that people become either goats or sheep. You know, they're are other followers or or they're they're drivers. They're people who make, make crap happen. I call it an MCH, makes crap happen. Yeah. If you want to make crap happen, you gotta realize that if it's if it's gonna be, it's up to me. You know, my mother taught me that a long time ago. And you just need to take action. You need to be clear on what it is you want, how badly do you want it. What am I going to gain? What pleasure am I going to gain from actually achieving that, that that goal, going down that path? And at the same time, what pain am I going to experience if I don't? Am I going to go to my deathbed regretting not having done what I thought I should have done or what I really wanted to do, whether it's you know, sing in an opera or or be a successful real estate investor or do this or that? You know, the, the problem is most people have the capacity and capability of achieving great things, but they just don't. And and, yeah. it's, and it's not because they can't, it's because they won't. Yep. Uh, you know, it's a scary statistic to think that almost half of the U S 47% of Americans can even raise $400 in cash today. If they needed 400 bucks today. You know, that's scary. Oh, that is scary.
0: That is super scary.
1: So it, it is. And so we, need to just realize that we are capable of achieving great things. If we just educate ourselves, remember my first rule, my 10 rules, invest in yourself, build that knowledge, maybe set a goal of reading one book a month. That's not hard to do. I mean, if you really want to swing for the fences, read one book a week, right? And that's not impossible. And then, then take that action and put energy behind it. Like just take action, start applying. Even if it's just a matter of taking five minutes one day to call a real estate agent and say, Hey, I'm looking at this property as an investment. It looks like it's a good investment. Can you tell me a little bit about it? What you're going to learn from that five minutes of being out of your comfort zone, for those that haven't done that before, is going to really just say, hey, that wasn't so bad. Let me do that again, but this time I'm going to ask some more questions. And, I, and all of a sudden, now you're starting to stack a little bit. It's, it's kind of like the compounding effect. You know, every day you just improve 1%, 1%. Yep. At the end of the year, it's not, it's not 365 times 1%. It's, you know, it's, it's a thousand percent yeah, or
0: more. Exponential growth. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. And I heard you talk on, on one of your recent podcasts. Uh, there was a college student that, that wrote and asked a question on, on one of your... Um, uh, Ask Marcos uh, podcast, and it basically was there was a, it was a longer question, but it was essentially should I start now or should I wait, right? And you said why would you wait? Like there's opportunity cost here, right? Unless there's something holding right. you back, like get started. And that really, it, it's man, you like couldn't have ended this better because that's the whole the, my podcast is all about just starting, right? Education, of course, and and go out there, do your due diligence, learn. But at the end of the day, you can you can read a book a week. For the rest of your life and never do anything. At some point, you've got to just you got to get out there and get started, right? So, uh, I listen. I I appreciate your time, Marco. This has been fantastic. Uh, What you shared with us has been enlightening, and it's and it's really motivating because the idea of passive uh, passive real estate investing, uh, creating a a situation where you can live anywhere, right? You're you're living in Southern California and you're in 22 other markets, right? It it can be done. You're not as great of an investor you are, and as smart of a guy you are you're not Superman. People can replicate what you're doing, even if it's on a right. smaller scale, they can do that. And that's really the message here, guys. Don't be afraid. Don't think it can't be done. Marco didn't come up with something that is is impossible to replicate or could never be duplicated. It's it, You can do it, right? You just have to get a little education, take the steps that we outlined, and and just do it. Dive into it, right? So Marco, once again, I, I appreciate you being here. Uh, Marco Centerelli, he, he is the founder of Narada Real Estate, and he also has a podcast called uh, Passive Real Estate Investing. So go check that out. Take a listen. I binge listened to it this week. It's a great podcast. I highly recommend it. Is there anything else you want to say before we go? Anything you want to talk about or, or uh, something you're working on that you want to mention?
1: Uh, no, I think this was great. I appreciate you having me on. I think we covered a lot in the last hour. And if people want to know more about, you know, what we offer or what we do are the free downloads that we have. And we have a free book coming out in, in less than two months. So you can get on that list, but you can find that on our websites. It's either noradarealestate.com or passiverealestateinvesting.com.
0: Okay, great. And we'll have all this in the show notes. So if you guys are driving or whatever, just uh, go to our website and we'll have it there. And you can just click on it and and go find Marco uh, very easily. So Marco, once again, thank you for being here. I appreciate your time and uh, have a great rest of your year, man.
1: You too, Mike. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Okay,
0: thanks. Bye-bye. Okay, guys, there you go. Marco is definitely an expert in the area of passive real estate investing. And that's not an area that I've been solely focused on for the last 10 years. I've been really focused more on flips and wholesaling and things like that, which Marco would call more active. Uh, But we have built a team. And this is what I teach people to build a team, build some systems and processes around your business. And really any business can be Passive if you build a team and a structure that allows it to run without your direct involvement. So that's what it's all about, guys. I want to free up your time and give you a better quality of life, not just help you grow your business, but make sure that you're really enjoying the life that you've created. So that's it for today. Guys, get out there and get going. You know what I always say this business isn't easy but it can be done. But the only way you're going to get where you want to go in anything, I don't care if it's business, life, health, anything you're trying to do is to get out there and just start.